Hello, and welcome to the podcast. True Crime, The Traffic Zone. I'm your host, David West. In this episode, we take a deep dive into the world of human trafficking. A crime that is happening all over the world. Might be even happening within your own backyard. Men, women, and children are all victims of this horrific crime that can take place at any time, anywhere. In this, our very first episode, we shall hear from both victims and experts about what happens when people wind up in the traffic zone. Human trafficking is one of the fastest growing criminal industries, representing over $30 billion in illegal trade per year. At any given time, the United Nations estimates more than 2.4 million people hailing from 136 different countries are being trafficked around the world. Many end up in the sex trade. Some end up in forced labor, essentially modern slavery. The idea that so long after the Emancipation Proclamation, we should still be tolerating this, strikes me as completely unacceptable. Although it is undeniably a global phenomenon, the US, as one of the world's human trafficking importers, bears a special responsibility to combat this practice. Our obligation now is to find it where it exists and finally extinguish it. The U.S. and the international community have adopted various treaties and laws to prevent trafficking. But will it be enough? Modern Day Slavery, next on Great Decisions. They're often hidden in plain sight. Human beings have been trafficked for use as forced labor, prostitutes, or even for the removal of their organs. When we say uh, human trafficking, we're talking about a problem of forced labor that's plaguing tens of millions of people. And it's a more serious problem in terms of absolute numbers than in any other time in human history. You would be amazed how often you have seen it. But that's the reality, is that until you start looking for it, it just looks like somebody who's at work in a factory or in a mine or on a farm. Oh, how would you know if you don't know what to look for? It's just somebody at work. The United States considers the term human trafficking to be an umbrella term that stands for all of the activities involved in reducing someone to or holding them in a condition of compelled service. As President Obama says, really what we're talking about is modern slavery. With more than 20 million victims of human trafficking around the world, think about that, more than, more than 20 million, we've got a lot more to do. It's a result of enormous income inequalities. It's a result of prejudice and gender discrimination. But it's also a result of enormous corruption that drains countries of resources. Everybody potential become a victim of human trafficking, and everybody also potential become a trafficker. 
Human trafficking is happen around the world, not only in the third world, like Africa, Philippines, Mexico, but it happened in United States, in our own backyard. It happens to men and women, adults and children. They are abducted, coerced, or deceived by traffickers into a life of exploitation that's difficult to escape. A so-called labor recruiter will come into rural villages and uh, tell men, well, we have a great job for you in one of the Gulf states. Or they'll tell a girl, uh, we have a great job for you in Kathmandu or along the Chinese border in a hotel or a restaurant. But I need to hold on to your passport before we get there. Of course, all this is a trap. They promise them things. We're going to give you work. You can work as a, in a hotel, as a maid, or you can work in someone else as a domestic servant. And once they get there, often their papers, their documents are taken, and then they're coerced into working for the trafficker or his uh, associates. I was a general manager in the biggest bank in Indonesia. I lost my job because of the economic turbulence fell out. I couldn't work and I applied a job in the newspaper, the advertisement, it was in the newspaper. I got legitimate paperwork. While I came to United States, they didn't put me in the job that they offer. They put me into sex business. The US, European Union, the United Nations, and a host of international organizations are working to combat the trade that nets the traffickers an estimated $50 billion a year. And the figures get worse. Forced labor, another term for slavery, involves an estimated 20.9 million people, some of whom were trafficked, according to the International Labor Organization. That notion of 21 million people I mean, that's bigger than the populations of London, New York, and Mexico City combined. Their numbers showed a two-third, one-third split. Two-thirds involved in labor trafficking, forced labor, one-third involved in being coerced into the commercial sex trade. But most of the victims of human trafficking are really going to be in these common industries of making bricks, farming rice, rock quarries, very, very manual labor, which if you looked at it from the outside, you would have no idea that there was slavery taking place. The numbers may be higher. The nature of trafficking makes gathering information difficult. Part of what makes trafficking such a complicated issue is that to really measure the scale of something that happens in a subterranean fashion that is all about kind of the underworld, all about things happening behind closed doors, I think it's extraordinarily difficult to conceive of you know, how many people are trafficked it's also the definitional issue. Uh, if a child is 12 years old and he's working making rugs, is he forced labor? Uh, and uh, you know, he's making money for the family so they can eat and supporting them and helping the family work in the back room is just forced labor. Uh, so a great deal of it is unreported. Profits generated from forced labor can add up to $150 billion a year. It's about the third most profitable criminal activity in the world. There are about 30 million slaves in the world. Uh, the, how much profit is generated to some degree depends on the type of slavery. The most profitable form of slavery is sex trafficking, but there's a profit in every form of it. There's not one structure to human trafficking. There are traffickers that may be a couple individuals or a husband and wife, 
And then you can have larger organizations such as the Mogilevsky organization out of the former Soviet Union that had human trafficking as one element of its larger criminal profile. Human trafficking is not illegal immigration, an act which is committed voluntarily. The Trafficking Victims Protection Act that came out in the year 2000 essentially defines the crime in three buckets. One is children being held in the commercial sex trade. Two is adults who are in the commercial sex trade, but they're through force, fraud, or coercion. And three is anyone forced to work in some sort of labor or services, again, through force, fraud, or coercion. Can you walk away? Are you being compelled? Are you being compensated? Are you in debt? How did you get here? So you can ask these questions and find out whether there's slavery. Broadly speaking, human beings are trafficked from poor regions to wealthier ones. But it's not uncommon for victims to remain in the area where they were once free. Trafficking doesn't have to go across borders. It can be within this country. Uh, it doesn't have to be any great movement. Usually it could be within the same town, the same province, the same state. We've been having to explain to everyone that human trafficking is a euphemism, that we should look past those words and look back at the original intent, which is that nobody should be subjected to slavery. Three quarters of those slaves or modern victims of trafficking are in three countries. They're in India, Pakistan, and China. And in fact, in one country, India, there are 15 million people held as victims of human trafficking. And so you have in one country uh, more than half the victims in the world. Though much of the trafficking trade occurs in Asia, the U.S. is not immune. I know that a lot of Americans will think, oh my goodness, this is so far away from me, it's really you know, not in my bailiwick. But actually, if you look around you, even in New York City, in Boston, in Washington, D.C., you will find traffic girls. And they may be people who are very close to you, much closer than you even think. We have an estimate that there's 100,000 children in prostitution in the United States, which is a giant number of children being commercially sexually exploited. It is a national problem. Right now, there are, there are almost 300,000 children. I'm not talking about adult women. 300,000 children that are being trafficked right here within our borders. Japan is a gigantic market. Korea is a gigantic market. Parts of Southeast Asia, Thailand, Cambodia are also huge markets. And I think I wouldn't underestimate places like the United States. The UN suggests more than a quarter of trafficking victims are children, girls and boys, unable to defend themselves against lives as factory workers, prostitutes, child soldiers, or domestic servants. A very large proportion of the victims of human trafficking are children. The perpetrators are going to actually focus intentionally on those who are most vulnerable. Who can I most easily coerce into my rock quarry, into my brick factory? Who can I control with violence most easily without them fighting back? Every three children traffic two are girls, and most of them are involved in sexual exploitation. It varies by region. Some places like uh, in the Middle East, a, a lot of forced labor. Africa, similarly, children involved in forced labor or sexual exploitation. And in Europe, it, uh, largely sexual exploitation. It's more of teenagers, but they're sometimes younger than teenagers. But they work in brickwork. In Africa, they work in getting fish, in cocoa plantations, and others. And sometimes children in Africa 
have been trafficked into being child soldiers for conflicts. Very young teenage girls have been trafficked partly because their families are desperate. They don't have any way of sustaining themselves. And girls are, in any case, often considered kind of marginal members of the family, or the most disposable members of the family. The International Labor Organization, the ILO, estimates that perpetrators can earn $4,000 a year from a person in forced labor. Trafficking for sexual exploitation accounts for a larger share, 58% of the trade, and is focused in Europe, North America, and Central Asia. There was a ring of high-end trafficked women from the Soviet Union operating in Los Angeles. In that case, the business generated about $7 million a year. And in the business of Hispanic brothels, in which women are trafficked from Latin America to serve migrant labor, the profits for a trafficker may be a million dollars a year. So it very much depends on the market that's being served. On the criminal side, two-thirds of those working in human trafficking rings are men. But it's a popular crime for women, too. 30% of human trafficking convictions are women, more than double the average rate of women's convictions for any other crime. Women have an additional advantage, and that is that they seem to have a strong capacity to win the trust of those who are vulnerable. That a woman can win the trust of a young woman uh, to lure her away from her village to come to a city, and then she's trafficked in the commercial sex trade. Some of them even may have been trafficked victims earlier in their careers, but made uh, the horrible choice of becoming the girlfriend of one of the traffickers to survive. Uh, at some point, though, she becomes the criminal herself. So it's a bit like the Stockholm Syndrome, where you begin to identify with the person who's captured you. You begin to see this as your aspiration to be a good trafficker. Regardless of where trafficking occurs, Violence and intimidation are a common theme. The most marginalized people are the victims of human trafficking, and they are trying to better themselves in their lives. And that desire is then grabbed onto by a trafficker to move them out of their family and their community, sometimes out of their country, to a place where they can be exploited with violence. It was horrible because they didn't fit you. They put you into the darkness. No food, alcohol, and drug on the table. They scared me with a gun, with a knife, with a baseball bat, and also they have a police badge to scare me. So at that moment, I didn't know how my life looked like, but I tried to survive. The problem of human trafficking has taken hold in the international community's collective conscience, and steps are being taken to combat it. There are a lot of challenges we face all over the world, from education to climate change, a lot of issues that I care about. This issue of modern slavery is one, though, that I think goes to the heart of our moral obligation. Historically, there was, in fact, by the global community, a, a great decision to end slavery as a matter of law. And what we have to decide now is whether to turn that decision about law and policy into a permanent reality. The UN and its partner, the ILO, 
have developed legal frameworks agreed to by most of the international community to combat the trade. The United Nations, beginning of the 2000s, adopted a convention on transnational crime. And along with this convention were protocols on human smuggling and trafficking. And most of the countries in the world are now signatories. And this is simply to have standards that invoke criminal penalties for those who engage in trafficking, uh, to ensure that there's inspection of workplaces, and to ensure that workers know what their rights are. We, as the Bureau of International Labor Affairs, are the lead U.S. government representative at the International Labor Organization. And just this past June, at the International Labor Conference, we worked very hard to negotiate a new binding protocol. It will help advance efforts to combat forced labor, human trafficking, and some of the worst forms of child labor by explicitly calling for countries to adopt and implement tools that will help prevent, protect, and compensate the victims of this basic human rights violation. Because of these treaties, governments agree to provide legal protections for victims. However, challenges still remain. Policing forced labor is difficult, and prosecution for traffickers is low. In many parts of the world, the law enforcement that's supposed to be enforcing the law are complicit in the human trafficking because of endemic corruption. The only reason that human trafficking can flourish in the world today like it does is because of impunity. That is to say, a lack of simple law enforcement. People who are the victims often are reluctant to come forward because they could misbelief that they're going to be put in jail, incarcerated, or deported. Often they come across borders without the necessary papers, and they're unaware of their human rights. Even when I go to police officer, they didn't believe me. I went to Consul General to ask help. They didn't help me. I seek help in the community. They didn't believe me. Until one day I met someone that connected me to FBI and I got help and my life getting better now. Non-governmental organizations around the world have taken up the charge as well raising awareness, offering rehabilitation, or in some cases, operating anonymous tip lines for people to call in suspected forced labor or human trafficking situations. There's the beginning of a coalition of civil society organizations stretching across many countries that is coming together to fight slavery. There's mounting evidence about what's effective, because if we're gonna end slavery, we actually have to know how to end it the global movement can do way better when it comes to hotlines, when it comes to prevention messaging, when it comes to ed educating people about their rights before they get into a, a job, before they migrate for a job. Much of our attention has been on rescuing victims, but unfortunately in the world today, there's an endless supply of victims. And we're not doing enough to go after the business of human trafficking, to go after this the way we go after the drug trade to try and reduce the profitability and increase the risk for the traffickers. Refugees, people who have fled war or conflict, are particularly vulnerable. The UN is working to raise awareness so that at-risk populations do not fall prey to the crime cartels. 
over and over all around the world, we've seen that refugee populations are particularly vulnerable to trafficking. If one looks at uh, the recent evolution, um, in 2011, all over the world, we had 14,000 people displaced by conflict per day, internally and externally. In 2012, 23,000. In 2013, 32,000. Conflict regions are major sources of trafficking victims because individuals lose their social support. They've had the people who are the traditional protectors in their families, the husbands, the fathers, the brothers killed, and therefore the women are, are especially vulnerable. So one of the things that's so important whenever we're setting up a refugee camp, whether it's through the UN or International Organization for Migration, is to ensure that there is policing so that when the traffickers start sniffing around, they realize that they're not going to be able to recruit out of the camp. Sometimes it's actually the risk of trafficking that leads people to become refugees. And that's what we saw in this recent exodus of uh, children from some of the Central American countries. What these children were doing was running away from becoming enslaved into criminal gangs. As a global leader, the U.S. is using its influence to help curb human trafficking around the world. The U.S. State Department issues its annual trafficking persons report. In that report, uh, group countries, according to tiers, which countries have successfully implementing sort of the principles and, and recommendations of the protocol on human trafficking that was adopted by the United Nations. And uh, they're providing funds as well as reports and assisting countries in developing skills and knowledge bases and, and staff and abilities institutions to deal with trafficking. We assess the activities of governments along three parameters, prevention, protection, and prosecution. And every year, we also rank those governments as to what they're working on. And we put forth recommendations to these countries as to how they can improve with respect to law enforcement, with respect to the substantive laws on the books, with respect to their own policies, with respect to data collection, in their efforts to combat the worst forms of child labor. Every country is in fact graded on a scale of one to three, uh, and the, the lower numbers are good numbers. The higher the number, the worse the behavior of the country. Through the State Department's report, there is a clearer definition of human trafficking and the consequences of allowing it to take place. I have seen governments in the developing world completely transform their willingness to fight trafficking on the basis of their relationship with the United States, and on the basis of the international community's insistence that they do something about it. A country that is on tier three in the United States Annual Trafficking Persons Report could be subjected to sanctions, everything from restrictions on US foreign assistance and military aid to the United States having to vote against them in international financial institutions like the World Bank and others. It's sometimes used in a very political fashion and hasn't been very effective in getting states to be more responsive. It has worked in some cases that are dependent on U.S. aid, but for many countries that are poor and under-resourced, trafficking is not one of their priorities. The U.S. must also take actions within its own borders to stop traffickers and support the victims. We operate the National Human Trafficking Resource Center for the United States, which is the 24-hour national hotline on human trafficking for America. 
we were able to propose and then the legislature passed our legislation that greatly strengthens how we treat traffickers and how we help the victims of it and making it a very, very serious crime in Arizona. One of the things that's interesting about the American anti-trafficking law is that we are required to give restitution to the victims. And so the court has to do an analysis in every one of these cases as to what's the value of their services, whether or not it was legal for them to be doing that thing or not. The business community, which can indirectly fund forced labor in other countries, can help the situation too. If you're a company that's engaged in production, you can hire expertise to help monitor your supply chain and make sure that your products are not being produced by slave labor in the country that where your factories are located. Stopping traffickers is important, but helping victims to start a new life can't be ignored. You actually started out in a place of desperate poverty, and you will go right back to a place of vulnerability if there aren't appropriate aftercare services. There's still a ways to go in the U.S. Resources for victim services, for shelters and, and victim care, not where they need to be. When you find a trafficking victim, the federal standard is they should be treated like a victim. This story needs to be told because in United States, still don't believe if human trafficking happen in our community, in our, our backyard. As a survivor, as an outcomer, the biggest challenge is how we empower survivors to get back on their feet. It's going to take more than reports and laws to put an end to the problem. It's going to take persistence at every level from criminal prosecution to victim assistance before we see an end to the trade in human beings. Great Decisions is produced by the Foreign Policy Association in association with Thomson Reuters. Funding for Great Decisions is provided by PricewaterhouseCoopers, LLP.